welcome to Adoption Adventures. Um, thank you for coming along to join us for another episode. Um, following on from last week's episode where I had the, uh, the my boys on, the, the two guests, I've now got the challenge of trying to compete with that, so probably not worth me even trying, is it? <laughs> um, what I've done today is I've put up a, um, a post on our Instagram page. And for those of you that are not following us on Instagram, it's adoption.adventures. Um, and I've basically said, hey, I'm going to do a Q&A session. So ask me some questions and I'll give you the answers. And over the course of the day, I've had a couple of responses. So today's episode is going to be all about the answers to the questions that we have been asked. Um, now, if you find that as I'm going through any of the answers, if you find that actually there are certain questions that you've got where you think, mm, I'd love it if there was more information given about that answer, drop me a line and I'll make sure that I dedicate an entire episode just to that topic. Um, and always, I just want to make sure that the episodes that we're doing are exactly what you want to be listening to. So, moving on to question number one. How many references did you have to provide? And how did you pick who wanted to give references? Really, really good question. Um, now, when it comes to um, your referees... When we were going through the process, and it was quite some time ago now, probably about 10 years ago now, um, we had to provide six referees. Um, there was rules about it, so they had to, you had to make sure that you had some family in there, you had to have some friends that knew just me, or like knew me, initially and then friends that were just dads initially um they ideally wanted us to have some friends that had seen us interact with children and been around children um and it couldn't all be sort of family so when it came to us like i said we had to have six um we were able to pick both sets of parents um we had some neighbours that had a child um, that we sort of, and we were all very, very close. So we spent some quality time with them. So they were a reference. Um, we had my best friend, Sarah, who was on one of our episodes um, earlier on. She and I have known each other since we were in play school. So she's known me for a long, long time. We had some of dad's friends they didn't have children at the time um but again they they'd known dad for oh, i think at the time it was about 10 15 years so they was really really good solid friendships um and we had a couple of friends that knew both of us um and had children um so just I'm just adding them up. So both sets of parents, his friend, my friend, neighbours, and the other friend. Yeah, so that was our six. Um, when it comes to picking your reference referees, now I do believe that I think it's dropped down to three referees now. When it comes to picking your referees, there's a couple of things that I would sort of have in your mind. One 
thing is obviously making sure that they know you and know you well. Um, I think making making sure that at least one of your referees has seen you interact with children would be really, really good um, if they've got their own children as well, because they can sort of talk from a parental perspective. Um, people that are going to be in your support network is, is really key. Um, another factor that needs to be considered as well is you need to make sure that these people are efficient because the people that you're putting down as your referees, you they will get to a point where you are reliant on those references coming back. And in my years of delivering training, the amount of times that I hear that referees have taken a bit too long to get those references back, and then it causes all kinds of bother. Um, understanding that you your referees are going to be interviewed by your social worker. Now, obviously, at present, it's a lot is being done sort of virtually and online, um, so it's a lot easier. But in future, and certainly in the past, those referees had to be someone who was either close or could be sort of like could get close because the social worker would want to actually interview them and talk to them about their reference. Um, so I think as wonderful as it is, you'll, you'll have an abundance of people that want to be your referee. I think what you need to do is you need to think about who's going to give the sort of a, the mixed view of who you are. Um, so who has seen you in a moment of crisis who has seen you at your best, who has seen you when you've been around children and how, how have you interacted with those children. So I think making sure that you've got a referee that can really sort of strengthen your prospective adopters report and just make your sort of profiles just stand out that much more. Um, your, your references won't, you won't see them unless obviously your referee send it to you, you won't see them, but panel will. So you're just going to want someone that can um, write a solid reference for you and, and talk about the best, your best self. Um, next question. What's Little Dude's plans for post-GCSEs? So he is in... Over the next four weeks, he is in assessments. Um, so he's having two assessments each day for the next four weeks. Um, after that, the intention or the understanding is that school will be done um, unless they require sort of further information, um, and in which case they'll ask him to come back. Um, so I spoke to him and said, right, OK, at that point, that's when you go out and get a job. And I don't think, I think I mentioned this in the episode a couple of weeks ago. He, at this point, told me that he intends not to work weekends. Um, and I said, well, you might have to. He went, yeah, but weekends are for fun time. I was like, yeah, you're getting older. That's not quite how it works anymore. Um, so he was distraught. Um, <laughs> I think, I think his plans are he he will look to secure some employment. Um, he tried to apply for McDonald's the other day, but he's not old enough. He's not turned 16 yet. He's got his national insurance number, but he's not 16 yet. So he's still waiting for that to come through, like 
so as he can actually apply for some jobs. Um, and we mentioned on the episode the other day that he's looking at offering some tutoring to some younger students as well. So he intends to keep and stay busy um, for the summer. And then he is hoping to go to sixth form, whereby he will be doing maths, chemistry, biology and psychology. Um, all, you know, lightweight subjects, nice and easy. Um, it, little dude's intention for his future is he would like to become a cardiothoracic um, surgeon. He has mapped out his education plan. And he has been on this goal for about five years now. Um, and he's he's really sort of propelling himself that way. Um, as I say, he's been on this dream for about five years. So it's been a, a solid dream for a long time. It's not necessarily what I envisage that he would do. Um, if he does, it's absolutely amazing. It's incredible. Um, but I just have it in my head that he will do other things. Um, I I don't know why, but in my head, I assumed, or not assumed, I I had it in my head that he would go down the law um, approach um, and perhaps do something in like human rights or something like that. I don't, I don't know why. It was just what was in my head. Um, but like I say, he's he's been on the sort of the path of medicine for over five years, which has been really, really lovely. So... That's that's his his plan to he will be working and working and working. He might be allowed some sort of time to have some social life, but I'm not going to allow too much of that. Uh, <laughs> and then um, and then, yeah, uh, he'll be going back to sixth form. Next question. What stage did you find harder, stage one or stage two? It's a great question. The problem is I can't answer it because I am an adopter of old, I'm afraid. Um, we we went through the process, like I said, about 10 years ago, at which point there was no stage one and stage two. You were just on your adoption journey. Um, and But if I was to break that down, so in stage one, that's when you're getting your medicals, you're getting your references through you're getting your dbs checks done you're working on your workbook um you might go to your stage one day one training you're basically you're you're doing the admin heavy stuff on your part stage two is when all of the real heavy training comes in um obviously you get your preparation training and then dependent on what agency or bar you're going through you'll then have whatever additional training is available and that's when you're also having your social work visits now i confess during that period i found that to be the more intense time um it was you know it was weekly visits they were very intense visits sort of two three four hour long sessions and it felt like a really intense therapy session where you had to really really think hard about so many different things um which was really rewarding but it was also really draining um so i would say 
I would say I found stage two to be harder because it was just a bit more intense. Um, and I think as well, it's all becoming more and more real. So with every single meeting, it's coming closer and closer and getting more and more real. So you're getting more excited, but also more nervous. So it kind of goes backwards and forwards there. Um, but yeah, that would be my my view. Um, his question. Uh, it's a nasty question. How do you feel about little dude growing up and flying the nest one day? How nasty. He's going to stay with me and he's going to need me forever. We all know it. Uh, <laughs> so, I mean, as, as I've just said, sort of like he's, his plan is for medicine. He's let us know that the way that this works is it's something like a 10-year sort of education, 10 years at uni. Um, and he's told us that he intends to stay here for as long as he possibly can. Um, we all know that that's not going to be the case, but how do I feel about it? Kids are interesting, actually. And this has been a part of parenting that I found to be both heartbreaking but also heartwarming. As your children get older, they start to need you less and less and less. And the things that worked when they were young stop working. So you have to alter your approach and you have to change. And they're almost, it's almost like they slowly phase you out. Not in a negative way. They're not sort of like phasing you out of their lives, but they're phasing the needing you out of their lives. So they don't just rip the band-aid off and go, that's it, I don't need you anymore. It's, you don't have to do bath time anymore. And then you don't have to help them pack their bags anymore. Then you don't have to take them into school anymore. And slowly but surely, you, you just move along that path of just, they take one less responsibility away from you. And they just, each time that they do that, as they take it off of you, they add it onto themselves. And by doing that, actually, you find yourself getting more and more proud of the things that they are doing for themselves. So as sad as it is when they don't need you, it's actually really thrilling to see them growing up and not needing you. Um, and I guess you also feel like an excitement that, what you're observing is your young person putting into practice all of your teachings and you watch them go off into the world and tackle the world and all you ever want to do is keep them safe all you ever want to do is just wrap them up and keep them safe but actually that is what you're doing Every single time that you offer a parenting moment, a teachable moment, every time you nurture them, you are wrapping up a little bit more of the cotton wool around them because they're putting their own armour there. 
And when they go out into the world, if you've taught them the right way, the hope is that they know how to approach the world. Um, so I, I kind of, I kind of feel really excited about the next chapter. I dread it because I hate the fact that he doesn't need me like he used to. But I get really excited because he's grown up into being such a wicked young adult. And I take pride in that because Dad and I have helped to do that. And we've helped him become a smashing, smashing young man. And when I hear some of the conversations he has, some of the things that he does, I think that's that's incredible. So it scares the life out of me. But I'm also finding myself really, really excited for it. So... Yeah, watch this space, I guess. Um, next question. How did you feel the night before panel? I feel like it's Christmas, but also like before a big exam. Wow, absolutely. Um, now, I'm going to assume from that question that tomorrow is panel date. If I'm correct with that, best of luck. I'm sure you don't need it. I'm sure you're going to be absolutely fantastic. Just go in there and be you and you'll have a great time with it. Returning to your question, however, um, I don't really remember much about the night before. I remember the morning of, and I remember feeling more nervous about matching panel than I did approval panel. Um, and I think... I think that was the bit that I was actually feeling really confident about. Um, this is not me being big-headed. It certainly is me being big-headed. Uh, <laughs> but so within my world, I, um, I'm in my past and in my experiences, I've been a salesperson. So when I was told that I was going into a room and I was sitting in front of, at the time, it was 15 people. Um, and we were going to sit in front of the board of 15 people and we had to convince them that we were right to be approved. I remember thinking to myself, you know what, this is excellent. This is what I do. This is my moment. All the while, Dad's been carrying me through the entire assessment process, <laughs> making sure that I answer the right way. Now I'm going to get in front of a group of people and I can actually talk to them. And I can tell them why I'm going to be great. Um, so for a lot of people, they find that they get really, really nervous. And I, I understand that. It's a massive, massive day. I wasn't feeling nervous. I was feeling excited. Um, I felt like this was a time when I could do my bit for Dad and I. I could I could step up at that point and say actually do you know what this is when I come I shine in this so please let me shine um and I got really excited about that and I, panel was actually really lovely 
um, and the people that you meet are really smashing. Um, it's not a done deal. I, I don't ever want anyone to think that it's a done deal, but understand if, and this is kind of how I felt, if my social worker had worked all of those months doing writing, writing our par and putting our par together, and then they'd put it through their management, and then the manager had approved it, then we're going to a panel. If that panel then turns around and says, no, you're not ready for this, something major has got to have gone wrong, or something must have been missed along the way. But from all of my experiences, if a panel is saying no, they're generally saying, we're not saying no forever, what we're saying is you might need, we noticed that you had this, let's just say you had a bit of grief and loss, but we're not entirely convinced from what you've answered in your PAR that you've dealt with that. So we're going to suggest and recommend that you go back and get get yourself some counselling and come back to the process. So it's generally that if, if ever you were to find that you're receiving sort of a, a decision of no is generally paired up with a reason as to why and it's generally a place where you can understand and go all right okay yeah i can get that but and and in the same breath as well again this is not to scare any of you it's just to prepare you all you know i've heard a couple of cases more so recently um which i don't know the details of because it was in different boroughs and it's just part of support groups that i've sort of been a part of um whereby people have gone to panel got a unanimous yes and then the agency decision makers said no now when i've tried to find out a bit more about this again it sounds like there's been sort of grief and loss and trauma and perhaps it hasn't been dealt with i'm like i said i don't have enough information to be able to share what's gone on there and I don't know if panels, are, because they're virtual, I don't know if the agency decision makers have just taken a bit more time. I don't know. But what I would say is, I would stand by my original comment of, if your social worker is confident enough to put you in front of that panel, then you should feel confident in yourselves. You've gone through a heck of a journey to get there. Be proud of yourselves, be confident in yourselves, and be excited. You're doing this because you want to do it. So go and do it, and be good, and enjoy it. Um, so yeah, that's that's what I would say to that. Final question. What was the first moment that it sunk in that you were now a dad or daddy? Hmm. when did it sink in that I felt like a dad do you know what that's a really tough one because I'm thinking over all of those different moments and You could argue that at matching panel, when they approve the match, a little, a little bit of glimmer of "Am I now, Dad?" sort of started to come into place. 
there was the moment I first met Little Dude and he called me Daddy. Now, when he called me Daddy, he, he wasn't actually calling me Daddy the title. He was calling me Daddy as if that was my name. Um, but even though he's, that was what was happening, it, it still felt amazing. The first time he slept over, and I didn't sleep. <laughs> um, I think I think I remember a time, I remember the moment that little dude called me daddy, but but he he said it without thinking, and he meant it. And he meant daddy in title. That was a real key moment for me. And I think that that's the moment that I reflect back to and think, you know what, that that was a, a key moment. Um, and yeah, each time that they need you, each time that they turn to you, each time that they sort of, they feel fear or excitement or any big emotion and they turn to you to share it with you. They're big moments. Um... I don't know if I can pinpoint the first time I felt like a dad. Um, I remember on the first time that we met him and as we were saying goodbye, we we were both kneeling down to say goodbye and he was just sort of clambering over both of our knees to try and get as close as possible to us both and to just sort of, cut out as much sort of um, space between us as possible and just didn't want us to go and that felt incredible there are there are many 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 moments that have made me feel like a dad I'm not sure I know which one was the first and I definitely don't think I could rank them on which one would be the best either um certainly the first time he called me daddy and he meant it that that's that's really that's high up there um that was a lovely moment but I think yeah I think you're gonna have so many different moments that are so amazing you just roll with them um and our kids will want you to feel that because they need you to be that. So they're gonna they're gonna give you so many of those moments. And the beauty is they still do. Um, little dude was just talking to me about um, the rewards that we've put in place for his GCSEs um, and the financial rewards that are available to him. He's talking to me about what he's going to do with that money Um, and he talked about putting it towards a car that's scary 
Um, but he then kind of sort of put his arm around me and was like, oh, daddy, can you picture me driving? And I was like, it was incredible because we're pretty much the same height now. But he was just still, still my little baby. Um, and still just incredible. And that doesn't change. Um, it certainly hasn't over the last nine years. Um, so, yeah. I can't, I can't think of the first moment, but I know that there were many. Um, so, yeah. So that's, uh, that's it. Guys, girls, um, ladies and gents. And yeah, it's, um, it's been really nice actually having some of your questions come through, um, to sort of help see what sort of thing you'd like to know. Um, like I say, if you find, if you found that there was anything there whereby you thought, actually, I'd really love to hear more about that. Just drop me a line. Um, you can find me on um, Instagram or Facebook as adoption.adventures. Um, or you can find me on Twitter as adoptionadvent1 or email me at adoptionadventures123 at gmail.com. Thank you very much, and I'll speak to you next week.